Good morning. Good morning. I want to start off with a question, okay? How many of you can remember when you were a kid and you would see your teacher outside of school, out in public, like you might see your teacher at the grocery store, and you just got all excited, like all week long you see him in school. You're not excited about that. But you see him out at the grocery store and you're like, oh, Mom, there's my teacher, there's my teacher. And it's kind of like as if that teacher's like a famous rock star or something, you know. The rest of the week, they're just the teacher. Well, recently, I had a similar kind of little experience. I went out to dinner with this a friend of mine, invited me to go out to dinner. So uh, we'd gone in the restaurant, and we sat down, and there was this woman who was just kind of looking at me, staring at me. She had this big smile on her face, and I thought, who is this person? You know, and then she came over, and she says, I go to FCF. I was like, oh, okay, somebody from FCF. And then she made this comment that's uh, something along the lines of, she's like, I'm sorry, but you're kind of like a rock star. That is pretty funny, isn't it? Isn't that pretty funny? That's pretty funny. But that wasn't the funny part, and that's not why I tell you the story. The reason I tell you the story is the funny part was the look on my friend's face. Because cause my friend, you know, this, she heard this person say this, and my friend just kind of did one of these numbers. Oh, brother. You know, kind of rolled the eyes as if to say, kind of like, oh, please, trust me. She's not all that great, you know? So I think her name was Tammy. Tammy, if you're here, Hello. Today is part one of a two-part series about being great. Next week, Thomas is going to share a message on the same topic. And then the following week, June 18th, Randy comes back with a brand new series for the summer called Why Do I? Great series coming up. But today and next Sunday, we're talking about the greatest in the kingdom. And just like my little experience uh, a week ago illustrates, there are a lot of different ideas and opinions on what makes someone great. I read a blog uh, from, uh, it was called The Complexity of Greatness by Scientific American, and it said this. It said, what is greatness and how do people get there? Is greatness born or made? Is greatness the result of talent or of practice? The topic of greatness is one of the most fascinating on all of psychology, and I love this part, and has relevance for every single human being on this planet. The topic of greatness does, and I hope we all discover just that very thing today. But we have all these different kind of ideas and opinions about what makes a person great, about who's great and who's not. I mean, take Randy for instance. He would tell you that these are the three greatest people who ever walked on this planet, not counting Jesus. Willis, Percy, and Eugene. These guys are the inventor of the air conditioner, the microwave, and the remote control. <laughs> so Randy will tell you these are some great men. So who's great and who's not so great? What makes someone great? Can anyone be great if they want? Well, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus answered those very questions uh, for his disciples, even though they weren't asking. You see, they thought they already knew all there was to know about greatness. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it records this, this time when the mother of two of Jesus' disciples had approached Jesus one day, and she asked a favor. And she had asked that her sons, James and John, that they could have places of honor, places of greatness next to Jesus when he established his new kingdom. And you see, just like many Jews of that day and even the disciples, this mother thought that Jesus had come to overthrow the Roman government and make Israel great again. You know, reestablish it in, in like its glory days back in the king, uh, era of King David. And so mom wanted her boys to have positions of honor and greatness in this great kingdom 
that everyone thought Jesus was going to reestablish on the earth at that time. So Jesus replied to her saying this. He says, you don't know what you're asking. And then he turned to the guys, James and John, and he says, are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Because, you see, he was going to very soon go to the cross and demonstrate the sacrificial love of our God by dying, being crucified on a cross. And the two guys, James and John, who had sent mommy to speak to them, you know, to Jesus for them, they said, oh, yes, we're able. We're able. And then the scripture says that the rest of the disciples, they kind of got, you know, wind of this, and they heard what was uh, this conversation. It says they became indignant. In other words, they were ticked off. They're like James and John and their mommy. What, what are you guys trying to pull? What are you trying to pull in there here, you know? And so Jesus, he gets them all together, and he had one of those teaching moments. And he tells them something about greatness that has just as much relevance for you and I, every single human being on this planet today, just as much as it did then. And he said this. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. The Gentiles meaning just any non-Jew. Probably speaking much about the Romans. Their rulers lorded over them. And those in high positions, they used their authority over them. But he says, it must not be this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Now, the scriptures don't tell us, you know, how the disciples actually responded when they had this little teaching, but I can only imagine, you know, I'll bet it went something like this. Man, there he goes again, not making any sense at all. I mean, if you want to be great, you got to be a servant. That's not how it works. Everybody knows that being great is about having servants. The greater you are, the more servants you have. It's not about being one. It's about getting served. Jesus is all mixed up again. But Jesus was explaining to them, and he's explaining to us today, that our ideas about greatness, that they're kind of off. Matter of fact, they're completely upside down. And you and I, today, we can either continue moving in the path that we think leads to greatness, and ultimately be greatly disappointed, or we can adjust and we can start moving in a new direction that actually leads to a great life even though it may not make a lot of sense to us at first. It's like the old movie, Poseidon Adventure. It came out in 1972. Poseidon was the name of an ocean cruise liner, but that movie should have been called Poseidon's Nightmare. It was anything but an adventure. I remember it scared me to death when I saw it. And this ocean liner, it hit a huge storm, and in addition to all the damage, the ship actually flipped upside down, completely flipped over. And air became trapped, and it just caused the boat to kind of float upside down. So the whole movie is about the passengers trying to escape. And in the panic and confusion, passengers, they tried to save themselves by following the steps to the top deck. The only problem is the top deck was 100 feet underwater. And so in trying to get to what they thought was the top, they drowned. But the survivors were the few They were the few who just did what didn't make sense. They went the opposite way, following the steps that led down to the hull of the ship, which actually was above water, where they were able to be rescued. And you see, so many of our ideas are kind of like that Poseidon cruise liner when it comes to life. They're just upside down. You know, and so God's ways, uh, so often, just they don't quite make sense to us. 
But if we choose to follow his ways, even though it doesn't make sense to us at first, we will discover and we will experience the kind of life that Jesus said he came to give us. In John 10.10, he says, I have come that they, that you, that me, that we, that we may have life and have it to the full. Doesn't mean it'll be perfect. It doesn't mean it'll be easy, but it'll be full at this higher plane that God wants us to experience life on. Now, that's all good, nice, and everything, but you got to ask the question, what is up with that? I mean, doesn't it seem like God just kind of makes up stuff? It's like he kind of makes up these random rules and principles that just don't make a lot of sense to us. Does he do it just to keep us guessing, you know, just to keep us on our toes? Does he do it just because he's God and he's Ken? He's like, I'm just going to make this up and see what they do. I mean, if he wanted to, couldn't he have said, if you want to be great, you must eat a bologna sandwich every day. Could he have done that? I mean, I'd be really great if that was the case, because I love bologna sandwiches, especially fried bologna sandwiches. That's the best right there. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you in room this size, there's a lot of us that unconsciously either have or have had this kind of view of the Christian life. I sum it up in a little equation that looks something like this. We kind of think it, it works like this. God makes up this random and weird stuff. So he just makes up these arbitrary rules and these principles for life. They don't make any sense. He just kind of, he's God, so he just makes them up. He decides what is. And then I go along with his ways. I'm just like, okay, this is what you say. And if I do that, then I get to go to heaven because that's what it's all about. Life is just about getting your ticket punched so you can go to heaven one day. There's nothing more to it, right? Or maybe get some blessings or something, you know. And I think many of us have probably viewed Christianity in that way in some at least close form of that. But could it be that there's something else going on? Could it be? Could it be that when Jesus spoke to his disciples that day, and when God speaks to us today now through his word, the scriptures, the Bible, that he's actually cluing us in? You know, that he's actually trying to help us accurately understand ourselves and accurately understand this thing called life. I mean, could it be that what Jesus said about greatness, greatness, it actually makes total sense? That, that what he said about greatness has to do with how we've been created because you and I are divinely designed. And when we live according to our design, we experience life at its fullest, at its best. Doing the things we were created to do and being the people we were created to be. Let me share with you what I think is a much more accurate equation of what the Christian life is about. It actually goes like this. God lovingly reveals to us the truth about life, about how he designed everything, about how he designed us. So he reveals it to us through his word today. And then the addition to that is I trust him. I'm like, wow, I, I believe you. I trust you. You're my creator. You came and you died for me, a sacrificial death. I trust you. And so I'm choosing to follow your ways because I know they're, they're, they're the true ways, the right ways, the good ways. And then what does that equal? I experience life to the full. I become the person I was created to be doing the things that I was created to do. It's much more than just getting my ticket punched for heaven. Earlier when I read what Jesus taught his disciples about what it means to be great, I actually left off a very, very important verse. 
You see, Jesus said, Who wants, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. But then he added something else. He said, just as the Son of Man, and he's speaking of himself there, and it was a, a term from the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, it was a, uh, he was saying, I am the Old Testament Messiah, the Son of Man. So he's speaking about himself. Did not come to be served, but to serve. Just as. These two simple little words that are so important to helping us understand our divine design. You see, let me like kind of unpack it for you a little bit. In Genesis chapter 1, at the very beginning, it says that when God created human beings, it says that he created us in his image. Our creator, he made us to be like himself in many, many ways. And so that means he, he created us with a capacity to experience and enjoy life the way he does. And then the New Testament book of Colossians, it tells us something really interesting about this creator of ours. In Colossians 1.16, it says, all things were made, were created through who? Christ. Everything was made by Christ and for Christ. So whose image are we made in? Our creator, Christ Jesus. So when Jesus said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, he could have said this, just as your creator did not come to be served, but to serve. The greatest being in the universe came to serve. I read this on Bible.org this week. It says, it was not in spite of his greatness, but because of his greatness that Jesus served. In the mind of Jesus, acts of mundane service were not inconsistent with authority and greatness, but rather part of it. The creator serves his created beings. The greater being serves the lesser being. Now, when we stop and think about that, it actually makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I mean, and it's actually something we are very, very familiar with. Think about it this way. If the measure of greatness was getting served, then babies rule this earth, right? They're the kings. They're the queens. They are the great ones. I mean, Jesus just would have said, if you want to be great, be a big baby, right? That's not, that's not the case. You see, we've been given this ability to create life ourselves, the ability to produce life, to create beings that are in our own image. And even though we are the greater being, we are their creator, we are their creator with greater capacities than they have. And so therefore we serve the one that we gave life to. We feed the baby, bathe them, care for them, nurture them, cherish them, protect them. We serve them. Not in spite of being greater, but we, we do it because we are the greater ones with greater capacities. For those of you who are like me and you've never had children, we still understand this very well. Why? Because we have pets, right? We have pets. And uh, it's the same with our pets, just like my little pet here. Can we see? Pearly. That's Pearly, my little beagle. And you can't see all of the sign behind her, but when I took that photo, I just happened to capture the sign that said, life is beautiful, and life is certainly beautiful for Pearly, because I serve her. I'm the greater one, but I feed her. She doesn't feed me. 
I rub her belly, she doesn't rub my belly. You know, I pick up her poop, she does not pick up my poop. I am her master who serves her and all the other critters in my house. The other day I was picking up poop in my yard again. I do it every day. And so my neighbor, she's seeing me do this all the time, and she comes out and she's like, that's why I don't have dogs. I'm not going to be some dog slave picking up their poop. It's like, that's exactly what I am. I'm pearly slave, her servant. Jesus said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, just as the Son of Man, the Creator, did not come to be served, but to serve. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Our creator, the greatest being in the universe, he serves. And he says that we are created in his image, so therefore what are we created for? To serve. It's simply our divine design. Now here's what I really find fascinating when you think about this too. There's tons of scientific research that shows how much we benefit from serving. There was this article, I just found one example in the Huffington Post that gave seven big reasons why serving others serves us. That was the name of the article. Number one, it says more happiness. It says the research shows that part of our brain just kind of lights up when we serve others. Then it doles out these feel-good chemicals like dopamine and serotonin that help us feel joy and delight. Our physiology responds. It reduces stress. When we help others, our bodies release a hormone called oxytocin, which buffers stress and helps us maintain social trust and tranquility. Our bodies react. It gives us relief from pain. There was a study done by Pain Management Nursing that reports that people's pain ratings dropped significantly after serving opportunities they were given. When they rated their scale, you know, their, their pain uh, man management level and all that, it dropped. Longer lifespan. It says that over 40 international studies confirm that volunteering or serving adds years to your life. Studies have shown this. It lowers blood pressure. A study by Psychology and Aging found that adults over 50 who served were 40% less likely to have hypertension than those who didn't. Reduces mild depression. A study of alcoholics going through AA points out that those who volunteered to help others were twice as likely to stay clean a year later and their depression rates were correspondingly lower as well. And then number seven, it said that it benefits our careers. Benefits your career. The author of a book called The Halo Effect says that volunteering or serving for the right reasons can so turn your life around that the benefit will extend even into your work. And the study showed that even that instead of feeling depressed and unfulfilled at work, you'll be happy, confident, and energized. We simply function better our system functions better, our, our, our brains, our, our bodies, physically, mentally, emotionally, our systems, we function better when we're serving. It benefits our physiology. Now, I think it's pretty cool when science catches up and confirms things that God told us thousands of years ago about ourselves, you know. In Ephesians 2.10, it says this. It says that we are God's workmanship, he, he, again, he, he's the one who's formed us, put us together, made us. And we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. It specifically says, you were created, you were designed to do good works, to serve, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should go serve. You and I are created for good works. 
It's not just this nice little tack on in life. It's what we were made for. We are designed to do good things for other people. We are des um, divinely designed to serve. It's part of the way we were made. It's our makeup. Every single person has been made in God's image. And therefore, every single person has the capacity to serve no matter what place you find yourself in life. It will look different for all of us but we all have the capacities to serve right here, right now, no matter what. In 1949, a long time ago, there was a Catholic priest, Father Pierre, and he started something called the Emmaus Communities, which was a ministry to homeless men and women all across Europe. And this unique ministry restores the dignity of homeless men and women, also called ministry companions, and it does so by asking them to serve others. Upside down thinking, isn't it? It all started with a guy named George. After he was released from prison, he was homeless, unemployed, and he was on the verge of suicide. So George went to Father Pierre, and he asked for help. And much to his surprise, Father Pierre asked George to help him instead. And he explained that he was overwhelmed with meeting the needs of the homeless mothers and their children. So Pierre challenged George to turn his life around by serving the less fortunate. But wait, he's homeless. Can we ask what? Yeah. George became the first companion for Emmaus, helping Father Pierre build shelters for the homeless mothers and their children. And in the ensuing years, like George, every companion who came for help was invited to serve others as they received help themselves. Later in his life, George said this, he said, whatever else Father Pierre might have given me money, home, somewhere to work, he said, I'd, I'd have still tried to kill myself. What I was missing and what he offered was something to live for. This ministry restores dignity and it breathes new life by turning to those who have nothing and asking them to give. Why? Because that's what we were created for. Every single one of us. Now I know sitting right here this morning, there are some folks who know all too well what it is to be without a home, without a job, without money, to be in great need and perhaps ready to just give up. And I hope you hear your creator saying to you today, I got a plan for you. I've got a plan for you. You are divinely designed just as much as every other person in this room. You are his workmanship. You are created to do good works, to serve others right where you are right now. And that's true of every single one of us here today, no matter our situation, our season of life, whatever. Whether, whether we're homeless or whether we're the CEO of Popeye's Chicken, we are designed to serve. Cheryl Bockelder is the CEO of Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. Love some chicken from Popeye's. Just all oh, that comes in. It's good advertising, right? Um, she turned her, her company completely around by focusing on serving others. She's, she's written a book, I think it was called Dare to Serve. And she's a Christ follower who lives out her beliefs in every area of her life, even in the workplace, in her company. And, and there was this interview she had given where she shared her thoughts on servanthood. And it's kind of long, but it was so good, I want to share it all with you. 
She said this, she said, the Bible verse that's on my calendar every day is Philippians 2.3, because I haven't found one that's more important to how I want to lead in my family and in my work. And that is this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. She says, I really like the choice of words around counting others more significant than yourselves. I believe we're all born with an inner two-year-old. And we'd really still like to be laying on the floor, kicking and screaming because we didn't get the candy bar we wanted. It's pretty hardwired that we're self-absorbed little people. And we learn to fake it well, but we're still pretty much that two-year-old on the inside. She says, I find that biblical perspective really challenging in every aspect of my day. How I'm spending my time, the decisions that I make, to put them through a filter of whether I'm thinking about myself or whether I'm thinking about others. All right, let's do a little uh, Randy hand-raising experience. Who will admit, who will admit that you have an inner self-absorbed two-year-old somewhere inside of you? It just can come out at any moment, any moment, yeah. The truth is, the truth is that we all do a really great job of serving ourselves, right? I mean, when it comes to serving, it's kind of like the default setting in our brain is self. You know, I do a really good job of putting myself first. I do a really good job of taking care of myself and my own needs and getting the things that I want, of protecting myself, of pursuing my own happiness. It just comes so easy, so natural to serve myself. But you know, there's a price to pay when we live to serve ourselves. I mean, not only do our systems not function properly, like we talked about earlier, but even worse, words like uncaring, inconsiderate, insensitive, impatient, critical, pushy, manipulative, greedy, harsh. They begin to characterize us. That's what we become, very unattractive people. The image of our creator that we bear, it it becomes marred and and disfigured and sometimes unrecognizable. It just kind of gets buried under selfish, self-serving ways. But you see, we're designed for serving others. Not that we don't take care of ourselves, but for serving others and putting their needs first, not ourselves first and foremost. And that's why through serving, we not only function better, but we literally are changed. We are transformed. We are changed into very beautiful, attractive people. You see, when we regularly do good works, we become good people. When we regularly do kind things, we become kind people. A lot of times we we get it backwards and we think, well, once I become kind, then I'll start doing kind things. No. We go do kind things and then we become kind people. When we do regularly do thoughtful things, we become thoughtful people. When we regularly do generous things, we become generous people. When we regularly do loving things, we become loving, truly, authentically loving people. We're changed. There was a woman named Deborah Barr, and she wrote a book called All Things New, and she's actually from this area. She lives uh, around the D.C. area. 
And in the book, she tells her story of coming to know and trust and follow Christ and how it just completely changed every aspect of her life. She had been this commissioned officer in the army, and she said she just kind of personified the common stereotype of just that tough, rigid, uh, insensitive, unfeeling, uncaring. You know, she was just the boss. Just do what I say. Well, there was this very young, annoying, uh, this, there was this very young, very annoying woman in her office who just, she said, kind of drove her crazy because she was just whining and complaining about her life all the time. So she would just kind of avoid her at all costs. But then she started to learn about serving others as a new follower of Christ. And so a couple of times she just, you know, took a deep breath and she started to talk to her. And then she opened herself to her and she began to serve this woman just by listening to her and then praying with her. And in this book, she shares these excerpts from her journal. And so she wrote this in her journal one day. She says, I feel like God has rearranged my DNA and it is the most incredible feeling. God has rearranged my DNA. Folks, as we serve others, it's as if our DNA gets rearranged. And this new version of ourselves emerges. And it's the image of our creator that starts to break through and shine through. And we become the people that we were always meant to be. Bearing his image beautifully. Beautiful people learning how to love. Learning how to love. You know, last week, Randy's message on relationships. He talked a lot about love and what that is and what it looks like. And he shared, you know, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 about what the greatest commandment of all is. When about love, he said, Jesus says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Love people as yourself. Why is that the greatest commandment? It's kind of really simple. In 1 John 4, 8, we learn this about the creator. God is love. Simple truth. Not just that it's not just something he does. It's who he is. God is love. So nothing about God is selfish or self-serving in any way. Every single thing that God does is motivated by love. An unselfish devotion to the highest well-being and good of others. That's what love really is. And you see, because he made us in his image, we're divinely designed. He wants us to become people who are also completely motivated by love. By that desire and unselfish devotion to the highest well-being and good of others, not ourselves. Others first. So wait, I just kind of switched topic, topics on us, right? Are, are we talking about serving or are we talking about loving? Yes. Yes, because serving and loving go hand in hand. We cannot truly love someone without serving them. It's impossible, completely impossible. Serving, you see, is the outworking of love. It's the expression of love. It's how love expresses itself quite often. And if I'm not serving someone in some way, putting their needs before my own, then I'm not truly loving them. It's some other kind of warped love, some other warped version of love. It's not real, authentic, true love. And I think with that in mind, we would all do so well to take time, even today, to just stop and think about, think about the people in our lives that we say we love. 
And then just ask ourselves, in what specific ways am I actually serving each of these people? When was the last time I actually served them in some specific way, expecting nothing in return? When was that? And then perhaps we could even go deeper and we could kind of think about our attitude also. I mean, think about it. Do we spend a lot of time being impatient, annoyed, frustrated, irritated, upset? And if we find that the answer to that is yes, then there's a good chance that our inner, self-absorbed, pouting two-year-old is in control. And we're more concerned about getting served than we are doing the serving. Kind of like Janet Jackson, we're thinking, what have you done for me lately? You know? As opposed to, what have I done for you? That should be first and foremost. You see, to love someone is to serve them. And that's what can make relationships so beautiful. So beautiful. Think about this. Think about a marriage. A marriage where you have two people who are completely devoted to serving one another. Not themselves, but one another. So every morning they wake up and instead of, you know, singing, what have you done for me lately? I got, I'm waking up with an attitude because I'm tired of this. Instead, they're waking up with, what can I do for you today? How can I serve you today in a small way or big way? Now, if you have that, what kind of marriage do you have? A really great one, right? A really great one. I mean, you both receive the benefits of serving. You receive the benefit of serving someone, and you also receive the benefit of being served. You're taking care of each other. I take care of you, and you take care of me, as opposed to two people who are taking care of themselves. That's how relationships are designed to work. That's God's design for marriage and all relationships, friendships, work relationships, everything. Now, take the opposite of that. What if we have two completely self-absorbed people in a marriage? The only thing they're concerned about is what have you done for me? Serving themselves, making sure their own needs are met. What do you get? You get two miserable people, a lot of irritation, impatience, annoyance, frustration, anger, harshness, all those things, and you get a miserable marriage, a miserable relationship. We are designed to serve. We function better as individuals, and we become better people when we serve But likewise, relationships are designed for serving as well. They function better and they function, they're far more beautiful and more fulfilling and more satisfying when each person is devoted to serving the other rather than themselves. And that's why, that's why serving is eternally essential. It is eternally essential. Serving is an absolute necessary to have the kind of eternal kingdom that God is preparing us for. You see, I think we have a lot of misconceptions about what the eternal kingdom, what heaven is going to be like. I mean, I think like most things, we tend to think about heaven in selfish ways. What do we think about? We think about all the fun things I'm going to do when I get to go to, you know, I go to heaven, I get to do this, and I'll get to eat all the ice cream I want, and I won't gain a pound. I'm so excited about that. I'm going to be so happy. I'm going to be so at peace. No more stress in my life. It's going to be so easy and I'll just have fun. I'm going to sit on the beach all day long and do nothing. It's going to be so great. That's not great. It's shallow. It's selfish. 
See, the eternal kingdom, it isn't about me sitting on my butt all day long doing nothing. The eternal kingdom is going to be active. There's going to be a lot of stuff happening, and it's going to be this active community of servants, a community of great beings who love God and they love one another, a community of great servants who make the maximum effort every single day to bless and to serve each other. There isn't going to be a hint of the selfish way at all in the eternal kingdom to come. And because everyone is a servant in the eternal kingdom, it's going to be this place that is completely safe, completely harmonious. Everyone will be completely safe and loved. Everyone will be valued, respected, appreciated, wanted. Everyone will be cared for. And everyone will be immersed in loving relationship all the time, surrounded by people who are fully devoted to them. And as much as you serve and bless others, you in turn are served and blessed. It's just this cycle back and forth. You can never outgive without getting as much back or more. This eternal kingdom is it's about experiencing and enjoying life on the level that God Himself does. And it's all because we all serve. But until then, until the eternal kingdom to come, you and I, we need a lot of practice. We need a lot of practice. This is the training ground. This is the time for development, preparing us for the eternal kingdom to come and what we will be and what it will be like. We need to learn how to serve others instead of ourselves. We need to train so that we're not just doing some good works here and there, but we are becoming authentically good, beautiful, loving servants like our creator servants it just becomes who we are it's not just about our actions it's about our attitudes and how we think in life philippians 2 3 it says this it says don't let selfishness and prideful agendas take over embrace true humility and lift your heads to extend love to others i love that extend your head see who's out there how can I serve them and love them? Get beyond yourselves and protecting your own interests. That's what we tend to do. In other words, adopt the mindset of Jesus. Live with his attitude in your heart. So what is the mindset, the attitude of Jesus? It goes on in verse 6. Jesus was equal with God, but Jesus didn't take advantage of that fact. Instead, this great one made himself nothing and he did this by taking on the nature of a servant. A servant. You see, when we've adopted the mindset of our creator Jesus and we live with his attitude in our hearts, that's what rules and reigns, then we realize that there's no other way to live but to live as a servant. And there's no other way we want to live. That's all we want to live for, to serve like our creator Jesus serves Everywhere we go, instead of being obsessed with taking selfies, we become obsessed with doing surveys. Did you catch that? Different mindset. I mean, isn't it crazy? When we really think about it, why is it everywhere we go, we feel like we need to take a selfie and we post it for everyone to see, right? I put myself in there too, you know, over something, we gotta take a selfie and we gotta post it. Hey, look at me. Hey, look what I'm doing now. Look how cute I am. Look how cool I am. Woo! It's all about me, self-absorbed, default setting, selfies. But what if you and I decided, what if this is a little training we started ourselves doing to get this ball rolling? What if we decided that 
every time we even thought about taking a selfie, we would instantly decide, okay, I need to do a survey. I'm going to do a survey right now, right here, right now, wherever I am. Who can I serve? What can I do? What can I do? We actually do an act of service, a good work for someone else. It's just part of our training. Wouldn't that be great? A survey instead of a selfie. Because that's what having the mindset and the attitude of Christ our Creator is all about. You see, we need to really nail this one down. I'm designed for the survey way, not the selfie way. And I'm talking more about this kind of selfies. I'm talking about a life of selfish, self-serving. I'm designed, you're designed for the survey way, not the selfie way. 1972, the same year that the Poseidon Adventure, that movie, came out, uh, NASA also did something significant that year. They launched this space probe that was called the Pioneer 10. And the satellite's mission was to reach Jupiter, photograph it and its moons, and then beam back data to the Earth. Now, this was a pretty bold plan at that time because up until then, no satellite had gone beyond Mars. But Pioneer 10 accomplished this mission and so much more than anybody ever expected. Swinging past Jupiter in, in November of 1973, the space probe was hurled at this higher rate of speed uh, toward the edge of the solar system by the planet's immense gravity, and it just kept going. And here's the crazy thing. It continued to send signals back to Earth for 30 years. 30 years. The last signal was received in January of 2003. 1972 to 2003. So Pioneer 10 became known as the little satellite that could. The little satellite that could because the engineers, this is what's really amazing, because the engineers had designed it with only a useful life of three years. Three years. It was designed to go three years, and it went 30. The Pioneer 10 did far, far more than anyone thought possible. Far more than it was designed to do. Now, when I read that, I thought about us. And I thought, you know, if I'm honest with myself, and maybe you might feel the same way too, I think, um, I think most of us would admit that we are doing far less than what we're designed to do. It's just the opposite for us. We're doing far less than what we're designed by our Creator to do. I mean, I think within each of us, there's far more potential than we realize. We have capacities and abilities for good works, for serving others that are far greater than you and I realize. In some cases, there are these capacities that are just dormant. They're just waiting for, to be brought to life by us taking some action. And so we just need to take action today, starting today. But in other cases, I think there are these abilities that have atrophied in us because we haven't used them to serve anyone other than ourselves. See, our Creator has designed each one of us with these amazing capacities to do good works, to serve others, not just for this lifetime, but for all eternity to come. We have the capacities in us far more than we realize, but the all-important question is this today. Do we have the desire? We started... One of the questions we said we ask about greatness is, can anybody be great if they want? What's Jesus' answer? During Tutin, yeah, absolutely. What did he say? Whoever 
wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to. So the question is, do we want to be great? Do we want to be great? The kind of great that the creator says we're divinely designed for, true greatness. The kind of great that is eternally essential in the kingdom of com- to come. And if we want to, let's just take some action today. Let's start living the survey way instead of the selfie way in every area of our lives. Instead of saying, you know, what's somebody going to do for me? In every area of life, I'm going to be looking, what can I do for them? How can I serve them? In our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, in our neighborhoods, in our church. And Thomas is going to talk much more about that next week. Let's follow the greatest servant in the universe. And let's walk in his ways. Let's pray. Lord, um, how can we thank you for the way you have served us? You, the great one, our creator. On the cross, you served us sacrificially and you serve us every day by all that you give to us and provide for us and all the way you bless us. Lord, may we truly become servants like you, our God. We're made in your image. May that image shine through. May it come through and burst through in every area of our lives so that we truly are people uh, living the survey way like you, our God, the greatest servant of all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.